Uh, if you're new, uh, and many of you are today, we're in the middle of a series called Refresh. And for five weeks, <clears throat> at the beginning of the year, we're, we're taking time to look at five different discipleship outcomes. Uh, core values, if you will. Five, five areas of our church that make our church... Uh, what we really want it to be. What, what are we trying to accomplish here? What are, we, what, are we, what are we trying to do as a church? And what, we, what, would we, what would we like to see individually in the lives of those people who are coming to church? What are those five things? And we already looked at corporate prayer. And we looked at intentional evangelism. We want to reach people. We want to pray together. And then today we're going to look at Christ-centered relationships and we're going to talk about how that a church should be a family and that a church should know and how to connect with each other. And I'm looking forward to getting that in a moment. I want to say before I get into the message, and you can be turning to Acts chapter 2, <clears throat> that immediately after the service, I'm going to cut this slightly short today, okay? And I'm doing that on purpose. Uh, at the end of the service, uh, I, we're, we're, some of us, if you want to come, come. I hope as many of you can come, will come. At 11.45 this morning, we're having our first baptism service at our Mayport campus, okay? So we're super excited about that. And I know all of you can't come, or it would be just challenging for you to come. But, uh, so I'm going to end the service, uh, well, as soon as I can here. And I uh, can't make any promises. And when, it, when, it, when it's over, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bolt, and, and if you can quickly get to your car and get there, it's about 20 minutes. So I'm going to try to be dismissing us by 11.25 at the latest, probably 11.20, so that you can, if you want to, jump in your car and go over there. Now, for those of you that are new, our church is starting a brand new church in the Mayport community over by the beaches. And uh, we're, we're about five weeks away, or actually about three weeks away now from launch. And God's already working. There's already about 20, 25 people that are worshiping there and, and coming together. And, and, and our pastor, Pastor Aaron, was able to lead somebody to Christ this uh, couple weeks ago. And they're getting baptized. So this is the first baptism. And, man, I could not be more excited. So I'm going to go pull up a front row seat, okay, for that baptism. And if you want to be in the front row seat for the baptism, then you come and join me. And I'm not going to try to even arrange rides and all that. You just help yourself, okay? Get there. And I may try to live stream it on Facebook if I can. I'll do my best. I don't even know how to do all that. Maybe somebody could help me over there. And that would be great too, okay? And we praise the Lord for that. Aren't you glad to see a church that was about to fold and go under? Now is coming back to life. And I love the name of it too, Hope Church, because that's exactly what it is. I want you to look <coughs> at Acts 2, and hopefully you've caught the pattern here that this is the third sermon in this series, and all these sermons have been from the book of Acts. Now the reason that is true is because if we're going to be the right kind of church, we want to look like the original. And there's a lot of churches that want to look like a 21st century church. I don't really want to look like a 21st century church. I want to look like a 1st century church. That's where we want to be. And, and so we want to look at that church and we ask ourselves, what, what was the DNA? What did it look like? What did it function like? How did it act? And you will see, as we look at the word today, you will see that one of the absolute core parts of that church 
was that that church lived together in fellowship and community and they built deep and long-lasting relationships. So let's look at Acts chapter 2. We'll begin verse 41. The Bible says, Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among them as anyone had need. So, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people and The Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Amen. This is God's word. The National Book of the Year in 1953 was a book called The Invisible Man. It was a book written about a young, college-educated African-American man struggling to find his way around in a society that had treated him and his people less than human. The setting of the story was in the United States during the pre-civil rights era where segregation laws barred black Americans from enjoying the same basic human rights as their white counterparts. Now, many of us that are younger did not live through this. But it is and was a very real and awful part of our history. And the story is fictitious. And basically the man graduates from college in the south in Greenwood, South Carolina. He relocates to New York City and finds himself basically invisible. Meaning nobody saw him. Nobody cared about him. Nobody wanted him. Because of his skin color, he was invisible to the world. As churches grow, its members can become invisible. Not because of their skin color, not because of their socioeconomic status, but because oftentimes churches fail to connect its individual members with each other. Now to be sure... Being invisible is not always the church's fault. Some people choose to be invisible themselves. Meaning, no matter what a church does, no matter what programs a church would put forward, no matter what kind of culture a church would try to create, some people are going to stay anonymous, invisible. They're not going to go deep with people. They're not going to connect with others. They're just not going to do it no matter what you do. So, If you're invisible here by your own choice, well, that's just your choice. But to the extent that we are invisible because we as a church fail to to see and identify the need for this connection, the need for relationships, the need for fellowship, 
that is something that needs to change. And when you open up this early part of the book of Acts, one thing is very clear. The, the church was growing in extraordinary ways. I mean, 3,000 people were added to the church right there in the first, uh, the first moment of baptism. And then, according to the last verse, people were being saved and added to that congregation every single day. Uh, the Bible says in Acts 4.4 4, that the number of the disciples had grew to 5,000 men, not counting the women and the children. Acts chapter 5, verse 14 says more and more people believed. In fact, the, then it says there was a whole multitude of people believed. The word multitude in Greek is the word myriad. It's a word that's used in the book of Revelation to describe the, the vast oceans of people that are going to be in heaven one day. The innumerable crowd of people. There was an immeasurable crowd of people. In fact, in Acts chapter 5 and 6, the, the, uh, the wording changes from being added to the church to the number of the disciples was multiplied. Some people suggest that by the time you get to Acts chapter 8, when the church starts fanning out into Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth, that the Jerusalem church could have had as many as 120,000 people in membership. That's a big church. In fact, uh, it was a huge church, and some scholars estimate that the whole city of Jerusalem only had about a quarter of a million people in the entire city. Can you imagine the shakeup of this town? I mean, if, if a church in Jacksonville, to compare that, if a church in Jacksonville exploded almost overnight to half a million people in membership, that would be the impact on the city of Jacksonville that the church of Jerusalem had on its city. But here's the catch. As the church grew larger, the church grew smaller. And the church was not identified primarily by its bigness. The church was actually identified by its family nature. And when the church was a family, the church was on fire. Now here's the catch. You and I live in a world that values independence. Have you ever been, have you ever seen so much independent, I mean, this is what social media has done, this is what the internet has done, everybody has a voice and therefore nobody any longer has a voice, everybody's friends with everybody but nobody has friends at all, you can be an expert on anything when you're really an expert about nothing, you can learn anything, anything, everything as fast as you can with and I'm a, I'm a college professor, guys, so I see this daily in people that turn in research paper crediting things like Wikipedia and AskQuestions.com, to which I always respond with a good giant F, okay? We don't do those kinds of things in my classes. It's a crazy world we live in. Individualism has, has risen. Let me ask you a question. You don't have to answer this out loud. Do you know your neighbor's names? Many of us probably don't. Uh, do you know anything about the people that you work with outside the fact that you work with them? Many of us probably don't. In fact, the idea that we can be who we want to be, do what we want to do, believe what we want to believe, and it, it's basically, uh, 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 it doesn't re uh, regard other people. It's almost like a mantra of our day. You know, my, I hear my kids say this all the time, you do you. And we elevate this idea of individualism. Let me tell you something. The church does not value independence. The church values interdependence. 
uh, uh, the warp and woof of the church, the, the culture of the church is that we are a family and therefore we should be interdependent one of another. The Christian experience, the Christian life was never designed by God to be lived out on its own. In fact, there are two words I want to zero in on here. One's in verse 42 and one's in verse number 44 that explain the culture of this first century church. The Bible says in verse 42, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. That's the first word. And then in verse 44, now all who believed were together. Together is a great place to be. Now I want to share with you from this passage and others in the book of Acts what we mean when we talk about Christ-centered community. What are we talking about and how are we going to apply it in our church? So number one, I want you to see the scriptural need for community. The Bible teaches us that community is not a spiritual luxury, but rather a spiritual necessity. That being connected with people in the body of Christ being in fellowship with one another, being in community with believers, being in fellowship, being in prayer, sharing lives one with another, it's not something for the, uh, the people who have got it all figured out and cornered. It's for everybody. The word fellowship literally means association, community, or joint participation. We use the word community to describe things like where people live together, right? Like you might say, this, this town over here in Indiana is a farming community. We are starting a Spanish church right here at our church. Why? Because this is the fastest growing Hispanic community in the city of Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, uh, I, I, I work in academia, so you'll hear that a lot. You'll say that, that, that is not accepted in the academic community or the business community or the athletic community. What is it? It's, it's talking about people that have shared location Shared identity, shared uh, careers, we call it community. Literally speaking, it, it has the idea of living together, not just going to church together, but actually living out our lives together like a family. And it's all centered around the fact that you and I have something in common that is far greater than what we have in common with our neighbors or our business colleagues or other Kansas City Chiefs, I mean, uh, other fans of sports. It's that, sorry. It's that we are all Christians, which means that there's something in you and there's something in me there's a far greater identity marker and a far greater thing that we share in common. Isn't the church the most scandalous and crazy place in the world? I mean, look what God jumbles together in one building and shuffles together and makes a family. People from every walk of life, people from every social ethnic group, people from all over different parts of the country. I mean, folks, if I started looking at where did this person come from and where did this person come from and when did this person become a Christian and what's their religious background, you're going to find there's an enormous amount of diversity just in this room right here, and yet there's an enormous amount of unity. Why? Not because we grew up on the same side of the tracks, not because we've got the same color of skin, not because we have the same amount of money in our bank accounts, not because we wear the same clothes and shop the same places or live in the same neighborhoods, but you got Jesus in you, and I got Jesus in me, and that makes us a fellowship. You can never have a closer relationship with anyone in the world 
than you can have with somebody else who's a Christian. I am closer to more Christians than I am people in my own blood family. That's true. That's true. Blood, they say, is thicker than water. Let me tell you something. The blood of Jesus is thicker still. Those that are bound together by Jesus, those that are bound together by faith and hope and love are those who can genuinely be close in fellowship. And that's what the church should look like. And there's four words that should identify all of us. Four words that you should be immersed in, bathed in, saturated in that should be characteristic of your church experience. Number one, relationship. First and foremost, we have relationships. We have life together with God. We know each other. We're friends. We live together like family. Number two would be the word partnership. We work together in the same ministry. Luke chapter 5 verse 10 describes uh, John and James and Peter as a partnership. They worked together on ships to catch fish and they had a business partnership. And the Bible tells us that we have a greater partnership than a business and that is our partnership in the gospel. Uh, in fact, Philippians chapter 1, verse 5, Paul tells the Philippian church, you had fellowship in the gospel with me from the very first day. What is he talking about? He's talking about partnership. He's talking about not just, we're just not friends, but we actually serve together. We work together. We give together. We reach together. There's no partnership like gospel partnership, but then it's deeper. The third word that I would draw to your attention is the word communion. And the word communion that we, that, we, that we oftentimes think the word community or communion has at its root word union. Which goes deeper than just I'm friends with you, but rather I share something with you. That's what commune means. We're going to take the Lord's Supper here in a couple of weeks right here in our church services. And, and we call that, a, some people call it a communion service. It means we are sharing together in remembrance of the body and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we share that experience together. By the way, this will be the first time since COVID that we're going to go back to doing the Lord's Supper the way we were doing the Lord's Supper before COVID. And it hit me all of a sudden like, why are we still cracking open those stupid nasty containers and drinking that juice? like that and, and missing the whole experience of it all. If you don't want to take it, help yourself. If you want to let it pass by you, do whatever you want. If you want to wear a mask and sit in the back of the auditorium, help yourself, friend. We are going back to doing the Lord's Supper the way we were doing it before all this took place. And we're going we're gonna to listen to those songs. We're going to read those scriptures. We're going to let those elements pass by us. And we're going to think about this like God intended for us to think about this. We have intimate and spiritual connection with others. That's what fellowship is. Then we share. This is the beautiful thing. We share. Meaning we share with people in need. I mean, <coughs> in verse 45, they did it in a very tangible way. And sometimes that's what needs to happen. I remember the first time I ever heard somebody say, why do Christians have yard sales? Why don't they just share things with others? And I can tell you right now, I have benefited literally in my family. I, don't, I cannot remember... The last time I bought a pair of shoes for some of my kids because they just keep getting passed around. I love that. That's a blessing. And you see somebody that's raising up a child and you seek to help them or you, you know somebody that's got a physical need, a, a monetary need, or, 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 or maybe a, a need for something. And you can seek to minister to those people. You share with them. You help them. That's what we are 
here for. Romans 12, 13 says we distribute to the needs of the saints. We are given to hospitality. And that is why we are here. So number two, I want you to see this. Not only do we see the scriptural need for community, number two, we see the scriptural means for community. Uh, Okay, if there's a need for community in the church, then how does that church seek to build out community? And I think it's really interesting in the text here, particularly verse 46, we see how this happens. Look at verse 46. So, continuing daily with one accord in the temple, mark that down, in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house. Now, folks, here's the way this is supposed to work, and this is the area, when I say the church is going to do whatever it can to make this happen, I'm getting ready to share with you what we're going to do to make this happen. If there's been one thing we've missed as a church, I believe at large, it's what I'm getting ready to tell you right now, and that is this, that a church comes together like this for worship. That's what they did in the temple courts. In fact, uh, if you were to look at Acts chapter 5, verse 42, same thing is said. They worshiped in the temple courts. Now, now understand this, that, that is a very specific statement the temple courts they didn't go in the temple only a priest could go inside the temple inside the holy place and offer that sacrifice and he had a limited amount of time and way that could happen but all around the temple were temple courts there was there were courts for women there were courts for gentiles there were courts for and there were large gatherings uh, someone that I, that I recently uh, saw cut a, uh, shoot a video about this very passage has been to Israel and I'm looking forward to going myself in November. And, and, and he, he was saying, if you ever go to Israel and you see this yourself, you'll, you'll know that these large courts would have, been, would have been sufficient for a large gathering of people. Now watch this. The church gathers for worship. That's what we are doing today. And by the way, folks, it is incredibly important that we do that. We are supposed to gather in worship. You should be here. Well, you're here. Never mind. Uh, you should be here for worship every time it is physically and humanly possible for you to be here. You should be here in worship. We need this. But listen very carefully. This is not the place for fellowship. Just look around you. You don't probably know half the people in this room. I bet if I were to pin you down, the average person in this, in this pew, in these seats, whatever, don't know more than 20 names in this room. I would bet $100. I don't do that, but let's say I would. I bet $100 that the average person in this section, if I sat down and put a microphone in front of your face, says, stand up and name 20 people in this room. You can't do it. Guarantee it. Guarantee it. I mean, I can, but you should hope that I can. But you want to know what? Should this church get larger, which it gets crowded in here from time to time? Do you think that's sustainable for me? What do you think? I'm like some kind of genius or something? There, I've got a limit. I, and by the way, just because I know more names than you do, that doesn't mean I know more lives than you do. You can't come here and have fellowship. You can't come here and connect. You can't come here and do life with people. You can't come here and really get involved with other people's life. No, no, no. We're not here for that. We're here to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. We're here to hear his word. We're here to celebrate the resurrection and the death and the burial. That's why we're here. 
So what did the church do? The church gathered for worship, but watch this. The church connected through groups in homes. That's what they did. They connected with groups in homes. It's what they did. They came together in the temple for worship. Then when it was time to connect and fellowship, they did it in homes. Now, where you do it is not as important that you do it. And right now in our church, we have 41 adults on average, 41, 41 adults that attend what we would call a connection group. We only have three of them. And the fact of the matter is, we can't have more than three of them because we don't have a lot of space for that. So the truth of the matter is, we're limited in space, we're limited in size, we're, we have a lot of limitations. And so, so we have three classes. When you add those three adult classes together, the totality of the average of people that comes together are 41. Well, there's 41 adults in this section. And what does that tell you? That tells you that uh, less than 20% of our overall adult attendees attend a connection group. Which means this, 75% of our adults have no formal connection to anybody else in this church. Now again, some of that's on you, but some of that's on us. And so what are we going to do? We're going to change the way that we do groups. And I'm only going to give you a highlight reel this morning. And here in the next few weeks, we're going to roll it out. Connection groups are going to change from Sunday morning teaching lecture-based groups uh, where we gather and talk one-dimensionally. They're going to be transformed into connection groups that meet throughout the week in people's homes and in coffee shops and sometimes even here uh, at the church. Connection groups are going to be uh, meeting in a 10-week series. They'll meet for 10 weeks and they'll break for four. It gives people constantly an opportunity to sign on to a new group or get involved in a different group or find a new group that's closer to their house or whatever the case may be. These connection groups are going to be built around prayer. They're going to be built around Bible discussion. And they're going to be built around doing life together. And I'm excited in a few weeks to release to you all the leaders of the groups and the locations and where they're going to be. Because it's going to be awesome. And there will still be a few things that will be taking place uh, uh, for us here. But here's the deal. Uh, Guys, we we are also going to at some point run out of space and parking here. I mean, think about it. We have adults that come at 930, then we have adults that come at 1030. Well, guess what's getting ready to happen here in just a few short weeks? We're going to start a Spanish church. As far as I can tell, there's already going to be a bunch of people coming to that church. We had a Spanish couple saved last week right here in the service as Pastor Hector interpreted my sermon in Spanish back there in the corner back there. They got saved. Man, I'm excited about that, aren't you? And, and, and just the church continues to grow and grow. So not only is it, an, is, it a, is it a room issue, it's also a philosophical issue. We don't all just need to come and hear another lecture We need to come and share life together. We need to talk about the Bible together. We need to pray for one another. We need to get to know one another. We need to help one another. Groups are going to be the means of prayer. Groups are going to be the means of service. When we've got a service activity coming up, and let's say trunk or treat or the Easter egg hunt, uh, it won't be a church announcement trying to get you to do something. It'll be your group. We're going to bring 5,000 eggs. We're going to bring uh, X amount of pieces of candy. We're going to help the single mom's Christmas outreach that we're going to do next year. Our group is going to do that. And so we'll be closer connected. We'll learn the Bible. We'll grow deeper in relationships. But that is going to be the approach. It will start the week after Easter. 
And so leading up to Easter, nothing is going to change. Groups are going to remain as they are. And then during that time, you will have the opportunity to sign up for the new group in its location with its leader for 10 weeks after Easter. And then we'll start that cycle on and on and on and on. It is going to be our discipleship model of our church. Guys, listen to this. I have failed because I've always viewed discipleship as linear, not organic. Do you understand what I mean by that? I was always trained that here's how it works. Somebody gets saved and you take them through a discipleship class. And they finish one discipleship class and they go to another discipleship class. And then they finish that class and they go to another class. And at the end of the four classes, lo and behold, they're disciples. Well, first of all, no. No, no, how many of you understand? You never stop growing as a disciple. And here's the other thing. Discipleship doesn't predominantly take place through a series of lessons. It takes place on a need-to-know, need-to-grow basis as life happens. You might be sitting in a group, and you might be looking at people going, I got, some, I got a crazy kid. Somebody pray for my kid, right? I don't know what to do. And then somebody pulls aside and goes, hey, listen, I got a great book. I got a great resource. I'd love to talk to you about that. And let's pray right now about it. Then all of a sudden, like our men's group right now is praying, for Jim's daughter, Jordan. And our group right now is owning that prayer request. And we know, because we meet together every Sunday morning at 8.30, and we're praying. And that now is part of our life. Y'all with me? It's part of who we are. And those of you that are meeting in other groups right now, with those, you're, you got the same thing going on. The thing is, we're just going to expand it and, and develop it so that we disciple one another. Ephesians 4.16 says, The church is mature when the church is itself Growing in love. Listen, guys, nobody in this church should be dependent on me predominantly for your spiritual growth. We should be discipling one another. Discipling one another. Hebrews 5 says, there comes a time where you ought to be a teacher. Do you know God wants every single person in this church to be a teacher at some level? Everybody who's a growing Christian, there should be a time when you're able to turn around and invest what you know in the life of somebody else. It's called discipleship. It's called mentorship. It's called instruction. Don't stay in a baby crib as a Christian the rest of your life. Don't sit around where somebody's got a bottle feed you the rest of your life. Grow in your faith. Get connected with other people so you can disciple, minister, fellowship, serve, care, grow, and develop as a spiritual leader in your own calling. Finally and quickly, <coughs> I want you to see the scriptural blessings of community. What are the blessings of community? I want to give you five of them real quick, and I've got to be done. What's going to happen when we do life this way? Number one, there's going to be in <coughs> increased unity. Have you ever noticed this? You cannot spell community without unity. You can't have unity without community. And you can't have community without unity. And unity is a big deal to God. The Bible says in John 17, I do not pray for these alone, but for also those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. Have, has, everybody, has anybody ever let that, that verse hit you before? The world is not impressed by our creeds or our codes. But man, when the world sees a church together... 
there's an attraction because it's a picture of the unity of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And a church divided cannot reflect a God united. Number two, there's increased ministry. I love when I hear about needs in our church that have already been met before I ever heard of them. I love to hear that this person was sick, but this person was prayed for, this person was visited, this person was cared for. When you are in a group, there will be greater ministry. There will be increased leadership. I mean, right now at our church, there's very limited leadership opportunity. The fact of the matter is, if there's only three adult classes, how many teachers do you have? Well, you got a whole lot more than three people in this room. So as groups develop and groups multiply, guess what? New leadership rises up and people are trained and people teach and people multiply and people grow. Number four, <coughs> there's increased spiritual growth. The Bible says here, they increased in doctrine, in breaking of bread, and in prayers. And they increased, fifthly, in deeper relationships. The Bible says they ate their food together and they strengthened their relationships together. There's nothing like getting to know somebody on a deeper level and that will happen through connection groups. Think about it. <coughs> the Bible <coughs> assumes that we're ministering one to another. You know there's 58 one another commandments in the New Testament. Did you know that? 58. Love one another. Pray for one another. Encourage one another. Right? You know one of them is this. Forgive one another. You want to know what's sad about the average church? Listen. Please listen to this. And I'm done. What's sad about the average church is some people in the church have never gotten close enough to somebody in the church to get mad at them enough that they need to forgive them. You ever been in a family? Anybody else in here in a family? I have, I have five kids. Five. It's like a forgiveness shop. If I didn't ever have to forgive my wife or she never had to forgive me, you know what that tells you? We're not close. We're not even close enough to tick each other off. And so you can live in isolation if you want to. And the next time something rubs you wrong in the church, just go ahead and leave. Just go ahead and hop on down to the next church where you'll live in isolation. You'll be invisible. And you'll never have to confront the realities that life is messy. And life needs to be done together. And that's what happens to the average person. When you are not in a church family, you're just going to church. Here's what happens. The minute you don't like the sermon, and the minute you don't like the music, and the minute you don't like this, and the minute you don't like that. Because after all, it's all about you, right? So then just hop down to the next one. And it'll be cool for a while. You'll like the music for a while. You'll like the people for a while. You'll like this for a while. You'll like the group for a while. And then, oh. And then you'll hop on down the road to the next one. And then you'll hop on down the road to the next one. And you'll never know what it meant to actually do life together. Man, I cannot wait for this. This is going to